splinter. I hardly even know her. This week on The Girls Who Cried Me Horror, we are talking about the severely underrated and underseen Splinter. Yay! Yay! The Girls Who Cried Me Horror. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Girls Who Cried Me Horror. I'm Alex. And I'm Anya. And this month, as I just said, we are going to be talking about the 2008 film Splinter that I feel like 95% of people have probably not heard of. Um, I know I hadn't heard of it until this past year, which I think is a travesty, and I want everybody to know it exists, and mm. I want everybody to see it and to seek it out. So please, if you have not seen it or heard of it, go watch it before we talk about it, because obviously we do a lot of spoilers on this show, and... I think it's a really, really great time. It is streaming. If you have Amazon Prime, uh, it's streaming on there now. And it's also free on Pluto TV, Vudu, and Tubi. So it's around. You can find it. Pretty easy. Anya? Yes. Um, we were talking about how this is the first movie that we've done uh, on the pod that Alex has seen prior that I haven't. Because we've definitely done ones that, you know, we've both seen multiple times ones that we've we just picked and we were like we've always wanted to see this one let's do this one going in fresh both of us and there might be I'd have to really look some that maybe I have seen Alex hasn't I don't know really at the top of my head but this I know for a fact it's the first one that I Mm -hmm. have not seen and Alex has seen so not that that's really going to change much because we're both coming into this now having seen it but you know it's always fun to you know get introduced to something new, and I had never heard of this movie before, so Alex is doing the Lord's work, uh, you know, Thank spreading you. the news. Um, yeah, I, and most of the time I feel like we have a lot of the same, like, random horror movies on our watch list, because, like, mm-hmm. we both have the same sources. We're getting them from, from like, Fangoria, from Corpse Club, or whatever, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I hadn't heard of this one, wasn't on my radar at all, so I thank you for your selection. Oh, yeah, I mean, I saw... Pretty early on in quarantine, I think, I was just in the, you know, in the market for some new movies I hadn't seen, and there was this, like, I think I maybe have brought it up once before on the show, there was this, like, sci-fi type show that was, like, the 50 greatest horror movies you've never seen, Mm -hmm. and so I watched it, and I made a list of all the movies on it that I hadn't seen before, and I think Splinter was, like, number eight or something, and I was like, hell yeah, so I watched it in October, during my little, uh, Halloween calendar season, mm-hmm. and I really fucked with it. I thought it was really, really well done, and I've just been essentially waiting for it to go streaming because it, I think we had to rent it at that time, and it, the shit popped up on Prime, and I was like, this is it. The time is now. We're doing it. I think it's going to be very different for us because it's definitely very unlike anything else we've done on the show, and I mean, we've talked about with, with B-Horror, we kind of go with like what feels like b-horror to us because there is no like specific definition that's like this is it and like nothing else can be Mm b-horror and this is like such a super low budget it's you know no almost nobody has seen it it's very very like underground and Uh it's not campy or anything but i think that what they do with the effects is very in keeping with b-horror so i feel comfortable doing this episode on it as yeah, I mean, do. <laughs> I don't think that every B-horror film 
must be campy. I mean, no. I definitely prefer the ones that are, for sure. And I think that because of other factors that go into them, a lot of them end up being campy or feeling campy, mm-hmm. even if it's not intentional. But I wouldn't say that every single B-horror film must be, like, high camp. Um, yeah, so I, I consider this B-horror, definitely. Yeah. Um, how was your viewing experience? Viewing experience? Um, it was good. I mean, watched it by myself. No no takers wanting to watch with me. But it's their <laughs> loss, baby. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, as I said, I kind of went in blind. I didn't even, like, I kind of, all I did was, like, read, like, the brief, like, plot description of, like, mm-hmm. I don't even think I actually did that. I think you told me, like, vaguely, like, in a sentence, like, what it was about. And I was like, mm, okay. And then went in completely blind. Um, no idea what to expect. It, I kind of feel like the cast minus one person. I was kind of like, oh, wait, I know you. Oh, yeah, I know you, yeah, too. Wait, them. I know you! <laughs> um, so, that was fun. And, yeah, I mean, I was definitely imp- I don't want to get full into it because I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but I was definitely impressed with what they were able to pull together for such a low-budget film. Mm-hmm. And it, it was shocking to me that... Yeah, nobody, and I mean, I feel like I have a good a good handful of horror friends, and even beyond that, like, I follow a good handful of, like, horror things that I've never heard, and maybe it's because they did and I just completely missed it at one point, but no one's talking about this. Not that this, I'm going to say right now, I don't think people should be talking about this personally the way I feel like they should be talking about House of Wax 2005, but... There it is. <laughs> every time, every time. Um... But yeah, it was shocking to me, and I'm happy that I've seen it now. So it was a good viewing experience, I'll say. Good. Yeah, I mean, I think I was very surprised because, I mean, there's like a countless amount of horror movies I've probably never heard of because there are a million. But for something that came out in 2008, I was very surprised that I hadn't heard yeah. of it because especially at that time when I was like a teenager, that's when I was like really, really getting into horror. And like a new release like that seems like something that would have at least been on my radar and I would have at least heard the name before. Yeah. So, but it's nice. I get so excited when there's something like mid 2000s I've never seen because I love that era in horror. Yeah. And it, you know, I think that it's a very pleasant surprise. I definitely think it's only six actors and yeah, I know all of them except for one of the one uh cop. I don't know who she is. Actually, I don't think I know two people but the four other four I was like I know you I know you um but yeah it definitely feels like this would have been a fear net staple I don't remember when fear net shut down so it might I mean if it was still going in 2000 I really have to look I I think it was um because it might have been on there but this the vibes all everything I'm like oh my god fear net would have gobbled this shit up yeah, but I think it would have been, like, a gem on Fearnet amongst, like, a bunch of oh, trash. Yeah. You would have been like, oh, that was pretty fucking good. But I do want to say, I'm pretty sure, this could be wrong, but I'm pretty okay. sure I saw Cabin Fever for the first time on Fearnet. So Ooh, you know what? That's a good one. Fearnet did not do me wrong. Fearnet has some wild shit, because that's where I saw Frontiers for the first time, which is that, like, really violent French film that I have yet to go back to, and it's probably the most traumatizing film I've ever seen in my life. And I was just, like, fucking, like, 16, just going on Fearnet, and they were like, LOL, here's some, like, was traumatic nuts, French cinema. I swear to God, they were all, I remember vividly, because I haven't seen these films still, they're on my watch list. I try to, I, I, well, I try to both consume horror consistently, because I, like, it's an insatiable hunger, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's, like, 
I also try to not rush through it. Not that there's ever going to be, like, a, I'm going to see everything. Yeah. There's going to be nothing you run left. out. <laughs> but you always try to keep, like, I always want something in my back pocket that I feel like is going to be really good or I'm really going to like or it's going to fuck me up. I don't want to go through all of them at once. Um, but they, I know that they showed these on Fearnet because they would always advertise them and I never watched them, but I, like, can see them vividly in my mind from the trailers. Always advertising hard candy. Always advertising uh-huh. high tension. And I was mm-hmm. like... And at the time, like, when I was much younger, I was like, I know this is a horror movie, I don't really know what it's about. And now that I'm older, and I have more context, I know how, like, fucking deeply, like, fucked they are. Not necessarily in a bad way. Um, but, so I'm like, damn. The internet said, I don't give a fuck, I'm gonna show what really the fuck it. I want. Yeah. I mean, I will say, I love both films. Hard Candy is very understated. Um, and you got Zaddy Patrick Wilson, so Zaddy I, I know that's on your list. Zaddy Patty! Um, and then High Tension is one that, like, I know a lot of people have problems with. I think it's fucking dope. I know there was a Fangoria article yeah, about it I recently. Did you read that. it? Yeah. Yes, Damn, it's a big spoiler. Uh, cause it's a big spoiler, but I was like, fuck it, I'm still gonna yeah. watch it. It's so fucking good. They showed it at the Coolidge a few years ago, and I it, at a midnight. It was so fun. Yeah, you should check both of those out. I highly recommend they're on the list, oh. baby. They're on the good. list. Good, good. Um, All right. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get into some fun facts? Yes, actually. Um, I do have something to say. It's going to veer slightly for a second away from Splinter. Um, but if you listened to our last episode, our last main episode, which was Demons, really fun time. If you haven't listened, I suggest you do. Um, we A topic that Alex brought up as a question for me was about dubbing uh, in Demons, but then in a lot of Italian horror and how they use dubbing. And it's so funny because we got a lot of reactions uh, from friends that listened from that being like, when you brought up dubbing, I was thinking this and blah, 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 which we did not you know, expect at all. But a very, very, very good friend of the pod, uh, John Allegretti, who is, I don't know a single person on this fucking earth that knows more about film Benham, genuinely, um, and he is such a wonderful person, he reached out to us on Twitter and explained to us, and we thought, you know, for those of you who felt really invested in that, um, that we would share quickly his explanation. Um, So our question had originally been, you know, why are so many Italian genre films dubbed? And this is what our friend John had to say. Um, Here we go. It's a common practice in the country that dates back to spaghetti westerns in the 60s. Italian films were financed by different European companies, Spanish, German, English, etc., and released in each territory. So to sell the film in places like Germany, the production would hire German actors that audiences from that country knew. On set, actors spoke the languages they were most comfortable with, so there would be scenes where one actor would be talking in Italian while the other read their lines in German. None of this mattered because the Italians hardly recorded on-set audio. They figured it was easier and quicker to shoot the film in silent and dub later. In post-production, different voice casts would be brought in to record all the lines in a specific language, so the German dub would include the German actors from the movie, with VAs filling in for the non-German cast. It's a crazy Italian tradition that was born out of financial backing from other countries and a desire to make movies quicker and cheaper. That's fascinating. It is. And I, mean, I was so grateful that he shared that with us. Yeah. Thank you, Gretti. You're such Thank a good you, Gretti. I mean, I knew that like there was a practice of people just speaking whatever language they were more, most comfortable with and then they would 
do dubbing in addition to that, but I didn't know why. And I feel like that must make it so much more difficult to act alongside somebody because if they're speaking a different language than you that you maybe don't know, mm-hmm. it's probably so much harder to, like, react to their lines. So, like, all the fucking props to people working in Italian cinema. That's incredible. Well, I feel like at least, I mean, not that I'm... I'm not digging on anybody, but I'm also not going to say anybody in these movies is, like, you know, (laughs) Oscar-worthy. But I feel like probably most good actors, for the most part, are reading... If they're getting a script, yes, obviously they're reading their lines, they're practicing their lines. But I have to assume that they're reading most of, if not all, the script as well, because they Mm -hmm. want the greater context, especially in specific scenes. They want to read beforehand, like, what is this interaction? So, definitely, yeah, I'm sure it's harder, like, if you're speaking English and someone across from you is speaking German, you're like, right, no, 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 I get it. But if you know beforehand, in theory, what is supposed to be said, I'm sure that alleviates some of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's the same thing with, like, people who are working on, like, a green screen and they're pretending to, like, work with a dog that's, like, not there or Mm -hmm. something. But acting is a lot of reacting. And I feel like I definitely would not do fucking well. I wouldn't do well in general if everyone was speaking very slow, plain English to me. I still would be like, (laughs) (laughs) one more time, please. But... I just, yeah, that's impressive. It's some great history. Thank you, Gretty. Thank you, Anya, for reading it to us. Yeah, and anybody else, Amazing. if we ever talk about anything on this podcast, whether it, you know, be something historically you know the answer to, anything else, or even if, you know, you have an opinion, feel free to reach out to us on our Twitter at the girls who cried BH, uh, or on Instagram, or in our email, which will all be plugged in our closer of the episode. Um, yeah, always reach out to us. We love to hear from you. Yes, absolutely. I agreed. All right. Actually, before we get into background, why don't you give us a little brief synopsis of the film? Yes, of course. Um, all right. So for those of you who have maybe seen Splinter, you need a refresher, or you're not going to watch it, time you want to know anyway, here's a very, very brief synopsis of what Splinter is. Essentially, you got two fucking couples. One couple's on the run, baby. Other couple is on an anniversary weekend getaway you know, the usual. And of course, both of them end up colliding with each other. In the process of colliding, they come across a creature, a roadkill animal that has some kind of like spiky, weird gunk kind of shit going on with it. And essentially from there, you know, mayhem ensues because they ran over it, you know, flat tire, yada, 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 we got to go to the gas station. They end up at this gas station, what ends up being our setting for the rest of the film. And they find the gas station attendant is wasted. And by wasted, I mean destroyed, not like drunk. Um, because he's been attacked by whatever this spiky black goo is that's now kind of controlling his corpse. He's not even like alive anymore. Um, so then it becomes a standoff of them having to lock themselves inside this gas station while these creatures who were once humans, who are now infected with whatever this substance is, are trying to get in and get them. Um, it's a great little survival horror. I don't really want to... I mean, there's not much more to say without watching it. it the whole basic premise is them being stuck in this gas station trying to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into, like, the great practical effects and stuff like that. Like, you know, the fun moments. Um, and it's very short, from my recollection. Yes, it's an hour 22. Very short. Yeah, very it's tight. very short... And, yeah, so I, I highly recommend giving it a check. But that's, if you're looking, you know, what am I getting into, yeah. that's pretty much the base premise. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a film set in one location, basically about, like, a parasite, you know, yeah. similar to, like, a zombie infection, but instead of, like, 
transforming the person into like something else it kind of uses the the ho- them as a host and like is a puppeteer and like the yeah. force of the spikes and the parasite like physically moving will like move the corpse which is just like haunting because then it makes them move in like disjointed ways and like they crack yeah. a lot it's gross I love we'll, it. we'll talk more about that yeah. after, more, after our fun facts yes okay oh, yeah. so diving into the fun facts um mm. Well, like I said, it was uh, released in 2008. It's rated R and has a runtime of an hour 22. We love a tight Oh, boy, do I fucking love a tight film. Ooh, so nice. Um, Because this is a relatively, you know, slept-on film, there was not a surplus of information, but I found as much as I possibly could. Um, So this film was directed by a man named Toby Wilkins, who has worked primarily in special effects, Mm -hmm. and he's directed some short films for Ghost House Pictures. I feel like that's the big meat and potatoes of his filmography. Okay. Uh, but this was his very first feature, which I'm like, fucking go off, bitch. That's a really good first feature. Yeah. Um, because he had had an idea very similar to this for a long time that he wanted to bring to the screen. And then when he got the script for Splinter, he was like, that's it. That's perfect. You know, my vision and this are going to come together. Um, he's only directed one other film, Aside from this, and it was The Grudge 3, which I just think is really interesting because if you know anything about The Grudge franchise or the Juwan franchise, both, let's see, okay, Juwan, the original film, uh, Juwan 2, and then the American remake, The Grudge, and the sequel to the American remake, The Grudge 2, were all directed by Takashi Shimizu, who wrote Juwan. So he is pretty much like, he's kind of like the Don Mancini of like, you know, of this franchise, who, like, he is the creator of it, he wrote it, he's directed most of them, um, except for The Grudge 3, so mm-hmm. I'm, like, interesting that, like, the fifth one comes along, and Toby gets it. I just think that's very interesting. His only two films, have not seen The Grudge 3, so can't comment on it, but mm-hmm. it makes me a little bit more excited to go through that series, because I really like this film, um, and he's also directed three episodes of Teen Wolf. Oh, the way that that's so fucking funny because the special effects in this are mainly practical from my, my understanding are look so good for that and then then you go to fucking Teen Wolf <laughs> where it is quite literally anything you could think of it as bad special effects Teen Wolf is rivaling it and is yeah. most likely winning like Special effects, so fucking bad, you have to stand up and applaud them. So that's crazy to me, but so fucking interesting. And the funny thing about it being Team Wolf is what's-her-name in the movie, cannot think of the actress's name. Jill Wagner. Jill Wagner is uh, Allison's aunt on Team Wolf. I hated her fucking character. Oh yeah, Kate Argent sucks, but Jill Wagner rules. But Jill Wagner doing the work. Yeah, I like her. She's a bad bitch. I had not seen, I had not watched Teen Wolf yet the first time I saw this. And so she was just, you know, another actress. And then obviously I watched Teen Wolf this quarantine. And upon rewatch, I was like, "Ah, Kate, hello. Good to see you. Love it. Um, But yeah. Um, Good segue because you were just talking about the special effects. The creature FX in this film are all practical, they use very little CG, which you know, I'm, I'm very happy with, I, right. I'm sure that had to do with their budget. Um, a lot of it was stop motion, um, like with the severed hand Love and that. anytime like limbs would kind of like crack and break, it was just like, you know, tricks of editing, stop motion, things like that. Um, 
the budget itself, I could not find any information on how much the budget was. Mm-hmm. Like, everything I found was just, like, very small budget, super teeny budget. And I was like, okay, so, fine. What was the budget? I want to know. But it was shot in 20 days, and nice, it Jesus. only grossed $12,900. Because nobody fucking heard about yeah. it. So, no matter what the budget was, I'm sure it was more than $12,900. So, I do not think that they had a return on their investment. Mm. But you know what? In my heart, they do. Yes. Um, it was released. Uh, it had limited release, which is probably why it did so poorly in theaters. Um, but it was released on Halloween in 2008. Oh, I fucking love... I just want to say this right now. I mean, I think we said this in a past episode where we were like, oh my god, there's going to be so many horror summer releases and blah, blah, Listen, give me horror all year round. But mm-hmm. I really always appreciate... Even if the movie ends up being bad and I don't like it, I always appreciate horror films that are like coming October, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah! Because I, every, the second we hit October, I mean, as always, I'm doing spooky fun shit all year round. I do my best. But when it hits October 1st, I become like a fucking Nazi with this shit. Like, I'm like, we are doing nothing but horror. If you even suggest we do anything unrelated to horror, watching, listening, participating in, get the fuck away from me. You are like <laughs> the plague. No, we're not hanging out. You can think that I'm crazy. You can hate me. Horror only. It's like when you get to Christmas time and it's like, don't even think about putting on a fucking song that isn't Michael Bublé. Get the fuck out of my sight. <laughs> like, it's that fucking energy all oh, the time. And I hate that. <laughs> This is a Michael Bublé house. Ugh, I don't want to okay. hear anyone else. Maybe Bing Crosby. Sure. Nobody else. All right. No Dominic the Donkey? Oh, fuck no. Unless Miss, Mr. Bublé wants to cover Dominic <laughs> the Donkey. I'm not Maybe. listening to that shit. Uh, that's great. Um, but yeah, I, if only my 16-year-old self had gone on Halloween to see this, that would have been fucking tight, but mm. that's okay. Um, our, I guess you, I, I would say that there's not really a, a main star of this film. I really think it's an ensemble. I'm but I, I would say that the biggest name in the film is Shea Wiggum, who, he's not really like a character actor, but I could see a lot of people being like, I don't know that name, but then seeing his face and going, oh, that guy's in fucking everything. I know exactly. him. Yeah. He's, a, he's an amazing actor. I really, really like him. I think he does an incredible job in this film. I think um, he's mainly known for Boardwalk Empire. That Yeah, I do know him from that. I know him also from Take Shelter, which is another underseen film that I think is amazing. He was in Kong Skull Island. Yeah, he was. He's in a lot of shit. I was going through his, yeah. his uh, filmography earlier. He's very impressive. But he has a face, today. and I was thinking this, and then... He has a he, face, yeah, he does. And that's it. That was the thought. Um, <laughs> no, he has one of those faces where I look at him, and maybe it's because he has, like, the buzz cut, you know, skinhead thing going on a little bit. <laughs> but, like, I literally was like, oh, I know this guy. He's definitely played a racist in something. Probably, I mean... But the thing is, like, that I looked at his, like, top filmography, like, briefly, and I was like, I don't think he was a racist in that, I don't think he was in that, and then I was like, oh. It's like, has he? And if he hasn't, someone get his agent on the phone, because this man was built to play a racist. <laughs> That's a compliment, but... It's not, I mean, like... You're so I'm versatile, sure Shay. It's a nice guy in person, and is a good person, but it's just something about him where I'm like, yeah. I can definitely see you playing just, like, backwoods, nasty... Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he has. And if he hasn't, I think that there's something to mine there. Well, I feel like just in this film alone, you see so many different sides to him. He's such a great actor because yeah. 
he is essentially the villain of this film. He's the antagonist, aside from, like, the parasite. But he goes through such a transformation and such a character. He has such deep character depth. Because you feel for him. You're also, like, hate him at times. He's... He can really do anything, so yeah, I guess a uh, racist Nazi maybe in the future. <laughs> Get on it. Big Jay. things for you, buddy. Big things for you. Um, let's see. Um, at the end of the film, Dennis, which is Shea Wiggum's character, gives uh, some dog tags to the other two characters with a, an address on it to deliver money to a woman when he no longer can, and. The address on the dog tags is the address for the Wrigley Field in Chicago. I don't know why I said the Wrigley Field. It's just Wrigley Field. Um, I love sports. Um, I love me some sports. I don't know if that was, like, a reference to, like, you know, if the writers maybe were from Chicago. Because the director is British, so I don't think he's, like, a huge Cubs fan. But Mm -hmm. who fucking knows. But I thought that was interesting that the address there was for a big old baseball field. Because they probably um, assume that most of us little horror freaks are not going to be like, that's Wrigley Field! I know that address! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's... Why wouldn't you do something then Like that was like, that's the address for some, like, like Bates Motel or something? But I think it's more so, like, then it feels like it's an inside thing with them. Like, it's one of those things gotcha. where, like, it's not them being, like, writing on there, like, mm. bring this to Yankee Stadium! Like, we won't know unless, like, we are really into sports, I guess. So yeah. they'll get it's away with us believing it's real. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so the last couple things I wanted to talk about were some awards that it did get recognized for. Oh, good. Which I'm like, good. At least it got that recognition. It won six awards at the Screamfest Horror Film Festival. Nice. Which were Best Editing, Best Score, Best Special Effects, Best Makeup, Best Directing, and Best Picture. So Oh, Best Picture. Holy shit. swept the competition. It killed nice. it. Nice. Love nice, that nice. for them. It was also nominated for Best Picture at the Saturn Awards, but it lost to Hellboy 2. Um, Come on, y'all. And it was also nominated for Spike TV's Scream Award for Most Memorable Mutilation for the arm amputation scene. But do you know what it lost to? For m- mutilate. Wait, what was the for award? For b- Most Memorable Mutilation. What did it lose to? It lost to the motherfucking Pendulum Trap in Saw fucking 5. Oh my. You know I hate Saw 5. You know I hate it. And I don't like that trap. I don't think that's You're talking about the one that the fuck face set up? Yeah. Where it's just like like swinging and it like cuts the guy in half. Oh my god, y'all. It's like so CG. If y'all haven't listened to our fucking Saw episode (laughs) with Roberto from Dearly Departed, it's really fun. Definitely check it out. But you would know in this instant that we are all like, shut the fuck off. Yeah. Of every just, Saw trap, that one. I feel like that's a case, though, where it's like Saw had become such a big thing at that point within yeah. horror. Like, it was very mainstream feeling, even though it's really like grungy and gross. That, like, it almost similarly, this is gonna be a weird comparison. I mean, you gonna say Pixar? Yeah, I was gonna say, similar to how Pixar, yes! every year, if they release a film, it's gonna get the fucking Oscar for yeah. animated film. Anytime a Saw thing came out, it was going to win for Best Mutilation. I was going to say the same fucking thing. That's so funny. We're so on the same wavelength. Yeah. You get it. Because Saw is exactly the same as, like, Inside Out. You know. Saw is to horror mutilation what Pixar is to animated Oscar wins. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So, yeah, that's pretty much all I was able to find um, on it. But there you go. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So, I guess let's get into the the meat and potatoes of this film. Yum, yum, yum. Um, all right. So, something that I think is really well done about this script, I think, specifically, is that I personally think it's really, really well paced. Mm. And I think that a, a big problem I have a lot of times with horror is that sometimes they don't build the stakes up high enough for me mm-hmm. for me to really give a shit about the characters and in this film well, first of all you open up on a scene with fucking skinny pete from breaking bad and he is just he's a gas station attendant and he gets attacked by what you think is like a like a rabid animal you don't really get to see it very much yeah. um and then it, it, you know then you meet your two uh couples and within the first 10 minutes of the film the couple that is on the run, who is Shea Wiggum, who plays Dennis, and then his girlfriend, Lacey, they essentially kidnap the other couple and they hold them hostage because they have lost their car and they need a car to get to Mexico so that they can get Lacey clean off of drugs. Mm-hmm. So immediately, within 10 minutes, our two protagonists are held hostage at gunpoint and told to drive. So the stakes are immediately set. And then we get to the the main plot of the film with this parasite and the stakes are raised even fucking higher so by this point i'm fucking invested i'm like oh my god what there's so much happening because i think if they had just set this film with like oh it's a bunch of like college friends and they got like they stopped at a gas station Mm. and then they got trapped that wouldn't really be very exciting to me but because they have already established this dynamic between the couple polly and seth and then Dennis and Lacey, there's such a mistrust and there's so much tension between them. And they put them in a survival situation where it's like, okay, you have to rely on each other now, but you can't trust these people. You don't know these people. They're out for themselves. So it adds like an extra layer of stress and anxiety for me. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I definitely agree. I think that's a really good point because I think, once again, as someone that went into this blind and kind of only knew very, very vaguely what it was going to be about, like, okay, trapped in, like, a gas station and this parasite mm-hmm. thing, I similarly, especially also because it's a 2000s horror, was like, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a group of friends or, mm-hmm. like, very much maximum overdrive style. All these people just end up at this gas station at the same time. Um, and then they're trapped. So when it was, you know, it, it did take me off guard because I was like, okay, two couples, so it's not the same people. And then I was like, oh, okay, so we're just seeing them both beforehand. They're going to both end up at the gas station. Right. And when they literally, like, run them off the road to then hold them at gunpoint to take their car, I was like, oh. And I think you're absolutely correct in the way that, like, that builds tension so well because, like, from the jump, and I think even before that, when you get the little moments of just the couples, you know, you get the, like, the good city folk couple, and you're like, oh, they're, like, cute, they're in love, they feel real, and then you get the other couple, the couple on the run, which I want to bring up something in a minute, um, but they're very much, like, okay, there's tension there, you're, like, mm-hmm. they're, like, they're fucking struggling with something, but, like, also you feel that their love is real, like, Absolutely. they would they would never abandon each other. It's them against the world. So I read here like, okay, even if I don't particularly like love either couple, like you, they feel real, and it feels like okay, I'm 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 here. And mm-hmm. then to then put them together, but in a situation where it's not like, hey, we just happened to cross paths at the same gas station. It's like, no, we're coming to the gas station together because they have a gun at the back of your skull. Is like not what I expected at all. And then as you said, the second they get to the gas station, within like a minute, 
the fucking gas station attendant is discovered in the fucking bathroom and then shit hits the van. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say it and once again, it's a fucking 80 whatever the fuck minute movie. So they have to move at a certain pace. Um but I would agree. I think it does a good job for sure. Something I've noticed in this movie, obviously, but also in other movies is like every time there's like a couple that's like the bad couple, right? Like they're the bad mm-hmm. guys. I no matter what fucked up shit they do to people, I always appreciate how in love they are. They, yeah. nobody else in the fucking movie, this could be the most beautiful romance film of all fucking time. <laughs> but if you introduce like, oh, and here's like the two fucking murderer couples, they love each other more than you two fucking do. And they will do more, they will go to the ends of the fucking earth with each other. And I fucks with that. I'm like, I knew oh, you would. I just love that shit. I love that where it's like, of course, it goes into the trope of, like, oh, the bad boy that's only nice to me because he <laughs> loves me. Like, oh, gobbling it up, fucking knife and fork, babe. Um, but, yeah, I just I just love that. And so, at the beginning, like, they're in this car. And, like, at first it seems a little hostile. Mm-hmm. Not, not even that much, just a little bit because, like, clearly there's, like, tension. Like, the car's not working. This bitch looks like she going the, she's going, like, through it. Um, and she just, like, is, like, she wants to get back on the road, blah, blah, blah. And he's just keeping, like, a level head the whole time. He's, like, we're gonna be fine. I'm gonna take care of it. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. And then even when she's, like, being mean to him or she's, like, mad, he's just, like, ah! He's so <laughs> Are you in love, love with, with him? Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. Um, it doesn't take much, you guys. We should know this I mean, by now. You're right. And then, yeah, it even makes it more devastating when we get to the gas station and Lacey oh, is yeah. the first victim because... You know, she's clearly struggling. She's withdrawing from drugs. I don't, they don't specify what kind, but I would assume, like, maybe heroin or something like that. And she goes to the bathroom to shoot up and stumbles upon what she calls the spiky man, I think she calls him. She um, says it's like a man with spikes or something. Yeah, and yeah. he, of course, because he thinks that she's, you know, hallucinating from withdrawal, doesn't believe her. And she gets fucking got so fast, so hard. Yeah. And... The de- like, just the devastation of having to have him realize that she's gone, but then what happens with her body is really, I'm sure, traumatizing for him because yeah. she's she's deceased, but the splinters inside of her are moving her as if she is alive um, and slamming her body against the window trying to get to him. Um, so yeah, because they are so deeply in love and we do get that connection from them so early on, it makes it emotionally impactful as well um but I think having the tension built in before we even get to the main plot also just helps you know in terms of making the story make sense because I have a lot of problems when there's like continuity issues or things like plot holes but with this it's like oh they see a phone immediately at the gas station they could call for help but of course no he's he's being looked for by the police so he has to smash the phone so like all these little things of, you know, they could escape this way and he has to, you know, put an end to it because he doesn't want to get caught before he realizes how serious the situation is. It kind of puts them in, like, a really, really bad situation where they don't really have any of those lifelines that they would have if they were, you know, they don't have to do that bullshit of, like, oh, the line's dead for no reason, you know? It gives validity to the actions that put them in that scenario. Yeah, and as somebody, I mean... I don't know if I've talked about it on here, but Roberto and I have been writing this horror script, which is a whole other fucking can of worms. Um, but 
I will say, as someone that has done this, trying to do this, all this shit, so, I mean, in general, writing anything is hard. It is. Even if you're fucking really talented, it's really fucking hard. Um, writing a horror script is so fucking hard for kind of the reasons that you bring up, where it's like, if you put any... Doesn't necessarily be horror, but I'll use horror because this is obviously where it happens the most. Putting characters in a dire situation where it's like, oh my god, like someone breaking into the house or whatever. And of course, that's a real world thing that could happen. And you always have to think like, well, what would I do? What's the logical thing to mm-hmm. do? And then you essentially, as the writer, have to go through every fucking possibility of like, well, what if well, people would think this? Like they would do this. So we have to eliminate that as an option. So mm-hmm. already that's hard having to like think of everything. And make sure that there's an answer for everything that could be thought of. But on top of that, doing it effectively where it isn't just like, well, you know, fuck, there can't be a phone. And then instead of just doing the whole like, well, there's, we're just going to say there's no phone at the gas station. Like, you know, the easy out of like, well, don't even put it there and it's not a problem. And sometimes you want to do that because you're like so fucking like dead inside over this fucking writing that you're like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Just take it out. Um, but it's so smart, like you're saying, to then like give a reason that then laces back in later because, like, then the cop comes, and that's a whole fucking scene because, like, she thinks that these this other couple, which they were obviously at a certain point, are in danger and are yelling because of this guy that they're with. Yeah. But it's the thing. And it's so smart, and it just, like, shows, like, it was really well done to, like, take everything and everything fits together with everything else. Like, nothing feels like, mm-hmm. oh, well, they just had to do that, you know. So no one would complain. Or they just, like, threw that in, but, like, for what? Like, all of it has a purpose. Which is why this is so fucking clean at, like, 82 minutes or whatever it is. It is. Like, no minute is wasted. Mm -hmm. It really, it it feels very well thought out. It feels like they probably had a lot of drafts they went through. And it just feels very, very, like, spot on. I feel like the dialogue, even though, I don't even remember if I fucking brought it up. Because I was talking about Shea Wiggum. In my fun facts, did I say that he improvised a lot of his dialogue? No, you did not. That was that was the fun fact, and then I went on a tan- we went on a tangent about Shea Wiggum. Well, Shea Wiggum being a Nazi. He, he improvised a lot of his dialogue, um, which is probably also why a lot of it felt very natural. And mm-hmm. you know, I would say maybe the first like five minutes is the only time in the film where I'm like, I'm not sure if the acting is like super good and like the dialogue is super good. But I think once they like come together, I'm so on board with it. And, like, mm-hmm. I just, I just am so invested in these characters. I think, yeah, everything's thought out. I mean, the fact that uh, Seth is a biology, he's getting a, bio, a PhD in biology, so, of course, you know, he's going to be the perfect person to be able to figure out this parasite. Um, but I think also, I feel like in a situation like this, it's very easy to make kind of one-note characters. And I think that the three main characters in this film are so well fleshed out, all of them, because... Like I said earlier, I don't really think that any of them are the main protagonist because each of them has a moment where they, they like, stand up and they are kind of, like, the hero where, you know, with Seth, it's him understanding how to defeat the parasite. With Polly, it's her kind of having, like, a gung-ho attitude and, like, wanting to, like, try all these different things and protect people. It's Dennis when he is, like, sacrificing himself. Yeah. They all have their moments, but then on the flip side, they also all have their moments of weakness where, like, you know, Seth doesn't know how to change a tire. He doesn't know how to do anything, like, physical. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of Polly's ideas are very, like, not really thought out. Like, if she actually, like, the gasoline where they want to, like, set a fire. And they're like, we're sitting on top of a gas station. Maybe think about it, Polly. Like, they all have Mm -hmm. moments of weaknesses and they all have moments of strength. 
and I think it it makes a really strong ensemble and it makes me care about each of the characters it makes them definitely feel more human because it feels Mm -hmm. more real which I think always helps when you have like an isolated one location horror you're not trying to do and there's nothing wrong with the you know opposite of this but you're not trying to do you know this big budget multiple locations you know high concept shit which there's great movies like that for sure see sure but you know I also appreciate the ones that do this kind of, like, one-location thing. But, like, you're saying, like, it feels real because in a real context, let's say this is really happening, three strangers in theory, or two of them not strangers, what the fuck ever, in a gas station, locked away. Yeah, when you're like, okay, we have, if the option is sit here, do absolutely nothing, and die, or we need to start coming up with plans. So you throw shit at the wall, everyone's going to come up with ideas, everyone's going to do shit, and guess what? Some of them are going to be bad ideas. Some of them are not going to work. But, like, that's what makes it realistic, where it isn't just, like, one person is the savior, clearly, who's going to lead the entire group, who's going to somehow have every idea, and somehow they all seamlessly work together. Like, that, sure, in some movies I don't give a fuck, and I'm like, great, having a good time, don't care. But that's not, in theory, realistic. So that definitely plays more real and makes these characters feel more human in the fact that it's, like, they are, like, incredibly vulnerable. They are like, Mm -hmm. any second one of them could die. Um, They have to make sacrifices. They have to come up with ideas. And some of them are going to work. Some of them aren't. Like, and I think this film also does a good job of, like, kind of, like, at any moment, like, anyone could go. Like, because of the fact that there isn't, per se, a lead, it's one of those films where you're like, is this going to be a, like, one man left or one woman left at the end and are we slowly going to see who the fuck gets chosen Mm -hmm. is it going to be somehow they all make it out is it going to be nobody fucking lives like you really have no clue going in which I think makes for a fun experience because I mean sometimes in films we've talked about it there's a clear clean cut final girl and I am not going to shit I'm not going to shit on that because I like that shit too I like a lot of shit in horror obviously we both do but like sometimes not having a clear cut this is your final person makes it also fun especially as a horror fan when you go in and you feel like I know it all I know all the tropes I know everything to look for and then it's not even necessarily subverting those it's just like I'm not going to give them to you at all mm-hmm. yeah because and I even think that's really she, effective yeah even though she is the only female alive for most of the film she doesn't really ever feel like a final girl no. and because they are all kind of on the same level you really don't know how many of them are going to survive, if any of them are going to survive. And I think what's even more interesting is that pretty early on when they hit the roadkill, you see that Dennis gets a splinter in his finger. Yeah. And you're kind of like, ah, shit. It's like the zombie bite. You're like, fuck, he's dead. Like, it's just, you know, a waiting game, like, whatever. But then we get to a point where it has consumed most of his arm, and it's Mm -hmm. horrible. And they amputate it. And it gives him kind of like a renewed hope that like maybe he will make it out after all and so that it just like reverts it back again and you're like fuck now I'm stressed for three people again instead of just these two and it adds like an extra level of tension and just kept me so engaged the whole time because even like the pacing even though it is most of the time like inside the gas station and it's just them like working out ideas I'm invested in it because those are ideas that I would have and I'm like yes that makes sense yeah that's a great idea you should try that so it feels like, like you said, they feel real. It feels like I could be one of them doing it. And something I will say, two things actually. One on the Dennis arm thing. I think it's so funny because like they Dennis cut off his arm. 
yes, with a fucking like box cutter, and then because mm-hmm. they can't get through the bone, they like take like a fucking like <gasps> box or brick thing, and they like smash the arm off. It's a concrete it. slab. It's it's vicious. Horrendous. Um, but then they like obviously bandage it up, and he's like, oh, you know, feeling weak, whatever. But mm-hmm. then like cut to like the next twenty minutes in the movie, this motherfucker is ready to go. What's the next plan? Like, he's, like, walking around just, like, no arm, but, like, fine. Yeah. Which, like, isn't really realistic, but I'll let that one slide. I just think it was funny where I was like, and yeah. he's back on his feet. So resilient. Um, but also something I noticed that made me laugh is um, Joe Wagner's boyfriend in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, some of his reactions to shit are just so calm that I'm like, I know, is I he know. okay? Like, when they first get there, and it's after um, they cut off the girlfriend who's dead on the spot, and Selena, like, her hand in the door, it's like half her hand, and both him and Joe Wagner kind of, like, are leaning over, like, looking at it, and they're like, huh, what is this? <laughs> I know. Where it's like, okay, even if it, like, there was no gunk on it, right, it was just the hand, I would still feel like you would get away from it. You'd be like, holy shit, what the fuck just happened? And they're like, interesting, interesting specimen. And there was something else. Oh, I remember it was. It's right before the arm slicing where they're in, like, the back room. Because they're, like, trying to – because something, I think, got in. So mm-hmm. they're, like, in the back or whatever. And he turns to fucking Dennis and he's like, calm as fucking hell. Calm as a fucking serene-ass pond. He's like, oh, did it get you? <laughs> like, I literally was like – what the fuck do you mean, like, did, oh, did you get caught? It's like, um, that. are you okay? Are yeah. you going to turn into the, like, literally he's like, oh, wait, did it get you? Like, it's so true. fucking chill. Well, I was like, chief, I need you to raise it a little bit. I feel like the reasonings for those are like, the first situation, I feel like the reasoning is purely scientific because he is a scientist. He, like, yeah. he is studying biology. It's like something that is so fascinating to him because it's an unknown species that he's never seen before. So, like, even though I do think he's too calm about it because it is somebody's fucking half of their hand that is, like, metastasizing in front of him, like, I also do understand that, like, the science part of his brain is, like, completely in awe of it and just, like, wants to study it. Um, And then I feel like on the second point, like, maybe he's just calm like that because, like, at the end of the day, like, this man is still someone who was holding me hostage, like, I don't owe him shit. Like, are you, are you good, bro? Okay, let's move on. I just feel like more so, like, it, it, I didn't, I, I, I wasn't expecting him to be like, are you okay? Yeah. But it's more so just, like, uh, even for a selfish reason of, like, y'all have seen, it only takes a second for that thing to Mm -hmm. kill you and take over you. So if this motherfucker has whatever it is in his system, I feel like I would be like, oh my god, did it get you? Get, like, yeah. you know, in very zombie movie, like, we have to fucking kill you now, or, like, we're throwing you to the wolves because you're a goner anyway. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it wasn't enough for me to be like, this movie's garbage. But, like, it yeah, did I do make think me in that moment, a little bit. In that moment, Toby could have been like, hey, Paolo Costanzo, maybe, like, <laughs> do, do that line again with a little bit more oomph, maybe, but that's okay. Um, I would like to talk about the gas station as a setting, yeah, for sure. Quickly, um, because in general, I'm I'm a fan of films that have very like specific one set kind of locations. I think that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think choosing a gas station is very smart because in a lot of horror films, specifically like slasher films, the gas station is kind of like a standard staple of like this is the location that people go to before the shit happens, where it's kind of like yeah. their their last opportunity to escape and like get out of the situation before they're like you know because it's always like they go to the gas station and the people are like don't go any further like it's the warning you know it's 
the Friday the 13th. It's the, although I think that's more like a, a little diner, but whatever. You know, yeah, it's, it's Cabin Fever. Yeah. It's it's all of those films. Or it's, you know, in the Texas Chainsaw series where they're like, oh, we'll go down this road instead. It'll save you time. And the gas station is always kind of like the beacon of hope of like, yeah, that's our last place that we were. We got to get back to the gas station. And in this film, the gas station is where the shit is happening. Like it is the 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 center of the chaos. So I thought that was really interesting to use that setting that I feel like in horror is known kind of as like the stopping point before the shit happens. I don't know. Just wondering. I just wanted to bring that up. No, I think it's an excellent thoughts. point. That's an excellent point because as you're saying, yeah, it's either. It is either, like, the safe haven, even mm-hmm. if nothing overtly saved you there, it's, like, that last, tri- like, that was, like, the last memory you have of, like, being within humanity or being in the mm. confines of safety, or in a very Texas Chainsaw, maybe, like, House of a Thousand Corpses vibe, um, <clears throat> it's, like, it can be, and it can do both, where it's, like, you know, that was really set, that was the bait the last, you know, mm-hmm. the bait you took to lead you somewhere else to die, or you just escaped literal fucking hell and carnage only to end up with, at the gas station, slash, like, with the gas station attendant, who was really in on it the whole time. So it mm-hmm. always feels like just a, a tiny stopping point that is important within the story, but, like, or within the genre and the trope, but it's never, like, a, a major focus. It's, like, either it's one and done and we're gone, or, like, yeah, we'll come back to that, but only for a beat, and it's really because about the character that happens to be working there, where it's, like, yeah, this is the only time that I can think of that I've seen it, where it's, like, no, the setting is the gas station, and it offers so much interesting shit because of the fact that it's, like, as you're saying, as a horror fan, like, we never really spend that much time at the gas station. It's kind of like an in-and-out c- scenario mm-hmm. where, you know, you get, you know... The kid, the half the party inside getting fucking you know funyuns, and the gas station guy is like, <laughs> really weird. And then the other two out in the car, like looking at the map, like having some conversation that they'll come back to when they're in like you know covered in blood, you know, in the last reel of the film. Um, but so in that sense, but also you know, there's so much to be. I think I I feel like I say this or think this about so many places but like there we I feel like we talked about it when we did demons we're like oh my god a movie theater there's so much right for the picking in a movie theater to do for a mm-hmm. horror film and like yeah gas station too like and they do it in this film especially you were talking about like oh and their one plan is like we want to like set something on fire and it's like well the whole fucking thing we're under is like gas or whatever we mm-hmm. can't do that like there's just so much I think that's always so interesting I guess in any film but especially in horror like Use your setting to your advantage. Mm-hmm. We talked about it in fucking Sleepaway Camp. Um, you know... Sorority babes. Yeah, like, sorority babes didn't do it, and Sleepaway Camp does, where it's like, you're mm-hmm. at Sleepaway Camp, use the setting of summer camp. That's what's... I mean, yes, there's so much else going on, but, like, we've all seen slashers before. What I want is a slasher at summer camp. Like, mm-hmm. use it to your advantage. Sorority babes, yeah. You're at a fucking bowling alley in a mall, Fuck yeah, that's really cool. And then, you know, you get one real, like, bowling-related death, and then everything else is just, like, babes in their underwear, you know, whatever. Um, So, yeah, I I definitely, I love, I love, I love it. Um, And not that really anything, there was any reason for me to feel this way, but, like, 
when I was watching it, it reminded me, it, like, felt like a video game at times. And I think that's because, like, there's such, I mean, video games are definitely getting their due now. I mean, there's so many video game adaptations. I mean, we're excited for one in particular, Werewolves Within, baby! There it is! Uh, guess what? I'm going to see it this Wednesday. I mean, by the time, yeah, by the time this comes out, I will have seen it, but there's, like, a one-night-only showing at this theater. Um, and I was like, I'm going! Um, anywho... But yeah, I mean, there's so many, I mean, I, and I don't know, I've talked about it on this pod before, but I, I love horror video games, and before anyone asks, you know, in this podcast where I can't hear you asking me a question, um, <laughs> I don't play video games because I both get stressed out, and also I'm an Aries hothead, and everything becomes personal really quickly for me, um, <laughs> so it just, like, wouldn't be safe, um, but I love, I'm, like, upset. I watch playthroughs. I will only watch playthroughs of horror video games. And I always love, like, story games. Like, I love fucking The Last of Us, Alien Isolation, uh, Until Dawn, some of the Resident Evils. Like, gobble them up, baby. And I don't know, something about this, I can't quite pinpoint it, felt that way. And maybe because it is kind of like that, like, okay, here's the location, Mm, it isn't going to yeah. be this huge, vast world thing. It is going to be, like, so not really like The Last of Us then, but, like, one space. And it is kind of, like, there's different boss levels. Like, oh, you get the hand, and then you get the big guy that's coming at the end. It's, like, everyone morphed together. I don't know. And that really, that that helped it in my heart, in my eyes. I was like, yeah, like, I could imagine, like, you know, this being some, like, indie video game and, like, watching somebody play this. But I think that comes from the fact that I, as I said, video games especially horror video games and all that shit is like becoming is getting so recognized now which i think it should be like the storytelling in video games is just at the same level as any other kind of storytelling it's phenomenal um so that was just my plug to like make better and more <laughs> video games um but yeah uh no i see that show. though i, I, I feel like it definitely felt that way, even from the beginning, when I was like, oh, this is, like, the cut scenes you get in the video game at the beginning, where you mm. set up the characters, you're meeting them, and then the first thing is like, oh, the car. We're, we're getting, like, you know, held at gunpoint, and, like, can I wrestle the gun away from this guy? Like, all of it. But I think, once again, that goes back to my brain just, like, operating. Like, how would this play as a horror video game? How would this play I think it should game? be a horror video game. It sounds like a lot of fun. I would fucking buy it. I think it would be really fun. So anybody, once again, us and our genius fucking ideas, uh, <laughs> get on this amazing yeah i think they really utilize the gas station super well i think flipping the like idea of gas stations just in general in horror i think is really interesting i don't know if it's something that they really were thinking about when they did it i mean that's a great it, thing you brought up. i didn't even think about that yeah I, it's just like i love i mean i love horror tropes even though they can get stale and i feel like that's such a big one yeah and i feel like they really do utilize the space well because there's like moments where they need like hardware with fucking screwdrivers they need uh, to look at security footage, there's, you know, opportunities for explosions, there's the fucking beer fridge that they hide in when they realize that the parasite tracks them with heat. Like, there's a thermometer they can use to test to their temperatures. Like, it just works really well to have, like, to give the characters so many options of how they could potentially escape because you are in, like, a little convenience store. So it just, like, is very, very intelligent and I think works super well for just this story and I love yeah it. and it's like it what works well about it is one that it's like a survival horror and I know that most mm. people might be like in theory all horror is like survival horror you're trying to survive it but like not quite because if you think of something like let's say a Friday the 13th or uh you know 
Halloween, where you got your big bads who are supernatural, where it's like, you know, either we all know everyone's going to fucking die, there's, you have no chance in fucking hell, or if you do survive, we know in the next movie you're going to be the first to fucking go. Like, you just can't do it, other than if you're like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm-hmm. But, like, this feels like one of those things where it's like, to a degree, there's realism to it. And I think it's something that Roberto brought up, actually, possibly in either our Saw episode or our Spire episode, where he likes, he really likes horror in which it feels like there's a chance. Yeah, me too. Because it's like that, once again, makes you really invested. If you're in a movie, you know, where it's like, well, you know that there's no fucking way you can beat this, uh, other than like one person will magically escape with their life because of said circumstances. But it's like a movie where it's like, everyone in theory has a shot. You can survive this, but you have to use your wits. Like... And I definitely agree. Like, those are so fun. I mean, it's why we like that fucking Escape Room movie so much. Can't wait for Escape Room Tournament of Champions. I mean, listen. I'm not going to say I really like Escape Room, but... I don't think it's a fucking masterpiece, but I definitely liked it more than I thought I would. And I think it's because of the fact that it was, like... I mean, I do love Escape Figure it out, and you can get out. But I think also, kind of, for a second, going back to the video game stuff it's also an isolation horror to a certain degree which I also really like like I think of I think one of the best isolation horror things I've ever seen which I would love if they adapted it into the Alien franchise is Aliens Isolation which is slightly more isolation horror just because it's one person doing it and you are completely alone as a player where obviously this one has three people but it is that sense of like you are cut off from the world and there's this huge fucking monster thing coming for you and you have to be quiet and like all this shit like uh i think it's just really really great i like it so much and i think that maybe to a degree is why my brain was like video game video game video game but yeah i think the isolation aspect of it and the whole like survival mode aspect of it especially after you get which once again is great in the storytelling of like yes okay this couple wanted to go camping for their anniversary so that's the context of like why are they out here yeah but it also plays back in because of the fact that it's, like, they kind of realize that, like, we're not built for camping. Yeah. Like, we're not built to survive in the wild. Immediately thrust into a situation where it's, like, you better fucking dig up some survival skills, babe, mm-hmm. or you are going to be donezo. And That's so true. Yeah. So, really smart. Really yeah. smart. Yeah. I think uh, the last thing I personally want to touch on before we move on to the funnest part of the episode is we have to talk <laughs> about the effects. Because they are practical effects. Um, They're very, I would assume, inspired by the thing. If they're not inspired by the thing, I would be shocked. Because a lot of the images were just, like, very that. Um, But I think the practical effects are incredible. Because you get so many different kinds. You get the... I'm not really a huge fan of the animal practical effects just because it's kind of just like a mesh of like blood and guts Mm -hmm. but the little hand puppet you get to see the the black spikes and it's like metastasizing and like eating itself and digesting and it it just looks very like you know cellular and scary and it like freaks me out and it's like gooey and gross but then you also have the big guy well first of all this the man with spikes is like a really really great like little suit that they must have like created because it looks so haunting where like his eyes are blacked out and it's so fucking gross but the creature that just kind of like forms itself to the other corpses and it becomes this like weird 
like doll of different human body parts that are like you kind of recognizable like there's like a head bobbing around on like one side and like limbs are like twisting on the other it's so disturbing but it's so well done it's like my favorite kind of effect I'm sure you have a lot to say about the effect oh I mean yeah I'm right there with you I as always we love practical um yes but yeah so much so much interesting about it I mean this is there's just so much to unpack, I feel like. Like, you were bringing up at the beginning of the episode, I've never seen something like this where it is, like, this thing takes over the body, and usually you get kind of a zombie situation, whether it's a slow walking zombie, a, you know, 28 days later, like, zombie, or what the fuck ever. But this is not really zombies, because immediately, like, that person is dead. They're not even using the brain. Like, the, the the being is not conscious. The only thing that's conscious is the substance inside of them that then, in a very haunting manner, is puppeteer, literally puppeteering their body. It's like a puppet with no strings. And it's so, like, disturbing looking, which is great. Um, and then kind of going up the zombie thing, you know. They try to kill them. They cut them apart. Nothing works. They're still moving because it has nothing to do with, like, oh, a parasite taking over the brain. Like, that could... They could be a literal hollowed out fucking head nothing in there and it would still use the body yeah. um which and is like so scary saying, and in very zombie manner it's not like oh you cut it apart whatever it's done and or it will try to like put itself back together it does that to a degree but it's like and they talk about this in the movie about like it wants like heat or whatever like it is a parasite it's not concerned it's not like evil in the sense of like i'm trying to take over the world like it's just like that's what it was made to do and it like wants to keep consuming it literally yeah the pieces that they hack a part of these people or even people that don't get fully hacked apart yet it like up on the roof of the fucking building it starts to like suck them all together and like put parts wherever they can fit on this like mass of like human animal flesh shit to become this like end of the video game big boss type shit of like black spiky flesh monster and it's disturbed i definitely thought about the thing when i was watching it there you can't if you've Mm -hmm. seen the thing you you fucking the first place and the only place really your mind is going um one thing i will say which i i'm sure it couldn't be helped honestly especially when we talk about like the budget and stuff like that but it's like a lot of the scenes in which not always but a lot of times when it's like this monster is like moving um and or when it's like attacking somebody the editing gets a little fucking nuts like it is just kind of these just like whoosh, 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 like shots and you're like okay I know something is moving and something's happening but like it's so quick that you like you just assume obviously like you're not stupid you can put together what's happening but you don't see anything and of course as someone that's like low-key a little depraved I'm like I want to see it I'm going to see you, like, literally, like, shot for shot, like, shoving those spikes into somebody, ripping them apart. That being said, which we'll get to, I'm sure, in our human sleigh, you know, there definitely are scenes of people getting ripped apart, and you do see it, and they're great, but, like, there was obviously a desire for me to be, like, you know, maybe if this had gotten, I didn't didn't want it remade. It's just, like, I wanted exactly the same, maybe with a bigger budget. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that they weren't, like, super confident in all of their effects, so that they use, like, you know, camera tricks to try to make it, you know, with the lights and the quick cuts and stuff. Like, it, I, and I have the same problem with um, The Void, which is why I have, like, an issue with that film. Because mm-hmm. there, especially in The Void, like, there's some incredible, like, creatures made. But yeah. they do that same thing with, like, strobe lights and quick cuts and edits. And it's like, I want to be able to see it. I want to look at it. 
let me enjoy it. Yeah, you want to, like, appreciate the work that they've done. But you get it. I think at the same time, it's like, I would always probably feel this way, but I also get, and it's something we've talked about in other episodes, where it's like, sometimes the most effective thing is not really showing the monster. It's like giving only a sneak Mm -hmm. peek and then letting our brains fill in what it looks like, and that will always be scarier than anything that can ever physically be made. I stand by that. Um... I think it's more so I just, like, didn't prefer the choice that was made in how they covered it up, which was these kind yeah. of, like, oh, like, my vision is blurring, like, it's going, like, like so quick right now. Um, I would much rather, like, you know, kind of something we get, which will get brought up, but there's one death where, like, essentially something comes down from the roof and, like, fucks somebody up below, um, in which it's, like, I can see that whole death because you didn't have to fully show me the monster to do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like I always prefer that if you're trying to hide your monster a little bit rather than, like, you know, these flash, flash scenes of, like, it's right there, it's moving, but you can't see it. Yeah, because at least we get gore when Uh, you show the kill. Yeah, absolutely. I think think that it's very clear the effects that they felt strong about that they show actively, like, the little hand, like, Dennis's arm when it's breaking and twisting, like, that's shit is so disturbing to me it looks mm. so real it looks so i love the i love a good i think they do this a lot in like zombie films i know they did it in that um newer zombie film hashtag alive where the zombies mm-hmm. are kind of like they move in like very quick jerk reactions and like they have that sound effect of like bones cracking at the same time right. and it just like it seems so inhuman and it does that with his arm when it's like twisting and breaking and he's because it's, it's moving his arm for him in ways that his arm cannot contort, so it's breaking. Right. And I find that so effective and just, like, I don't like looking at it, but I also can't stop looking at it. Mm-hmm. So even though I absolutely agree that there are, I think, the big monster that has kind of, you know, anamorphed into, like, this big blob of people is not the strongest part, and they definitely try their best to conceal it. But I think that the things that are really strong about the effects are really, really fucking strong. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and I, you brought up the little hand. I love the little hand. I don't know, something <laughs> about a disembodied hand, mm. you're always going to get points with me. And I love, and it's clearly like, and I also love stop motion, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that's where a lot of that stop motion came in. So, like, yeah, that's just, like, little, I think at first it's, like, literally three fingers. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere over the course it, like, it's either somebody else's hand and or it's, like, doing the whole shit where it's, like, reforming. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes, like, this, like, mangled full hand. And it's just, like, of course, like, thing tea thinging it from the Adams family like running across the floor on a fingers <laughs> and I love I I love a disembodied hand so if you're ever making something and you're like how can I make Anya a fan of my work throw in a fucking disembodied hand bud and I'm right there with you I'm I'm sold amazing <laughs> uh, is there anything that you would like to bring up before we move on to the cue and slay I think the only thing that I thought of which I'm sure I'll bring up partially in my cue and slay Mm -hmm. um is from the jump though it's this is one of the horror tropes where I was like it falls into the trap but I don't care I think it's just one of those things I have to be like oh of course is choosing to go fucking camping for your anniversary (laughs) so what I'm hearing is you want to die what I'm hearing is you've had enough of life on this plane with your significant other and you said let's just go get slaughtered yeah, I I would I I will never ever in my life ask Greg if he wants to go camping. That will not happen. All right. Well, I think then we should move on to yes, 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 yes. our da na 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 cue and slay. 
Oh, it's so nice to be in the warm, warm embrace of the Q and Slay again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We should start off, I guess, with our standard questions. Absolutely. So I, I'm just going to decide I'm going first. So yes. uh, there's not a ton of kills in this film. Yeah. And I think I know which one yours is going to be, so I'm just going to let you go with it. What's your favorite kill? Um, my favorite kill is the sheriff being ripped apart, or the police officer being yeah. ripped apart. I, and I definitely hinted at that. Um, because of the fact that it is, within the plot, it's just, like, so epic, because it's like, oh, they're one shred of hope, like, commit, we have to help us, like, call for backup, whatever, but also, like, get out from outside, and it's the scene I brought up where it's like, the officer recognizes Dennis, and is like, you've been on the run, Okay, so he must be holding these people hostage. They're screaming and yelling at me because they're afraid that Dennis is going to hurt me. Don't worry, folks. And it's this whole back and forth where the tension is just building and building and building. Because they're like, get the fuck out! Like, mm-hmm. get back in your car! Like, it is not safe! Like, get the fuck out of here! And, like, she's not listening. She's like, relax. Like, I have it covered. Like, do not worry. And then from above, um, the fucking creature that's been, like, coming together on the roof you don't really see it but it like literally like grabs her and like rips her like literally apart like top half Mm -hmm. removed from the bottom half and you see it in its bloody fleshy glory and I think after several scenes of getting kind of just like flash 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 not to say that there wasn't good practical effects we see in between because there are but like finally seeing like the monster full-on take somebody and I get to see them rip to shreds I was like thank you so I think visually yes my favorite and in the context of it being like they were so desperate like please 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 and then of course you don't listen and you die just it it works so well that was my favorite what about you yeah I mean I would agree I think that in general there's only four kills overall in the film and I don't particularly think that any of them aside from that one are like visually that interesting Mm -hmm. I think what's more interesting is what happens after their death especially with her because there is a moment maybe like five to ten minutes later after she has died where you see the creature pulling itself back together and kind of like stitching her back up essentially with its spikes and like forming into this like the thing creature and I think that's really visually interesting um I guess if I would have to pick a kill I will say Dennis but not really his death death his just his journey there because the amputation scene is in my opinion the best scene in terms of effects because it's good it's good yeah it's just the all of his arm twisting and like cuz he has it like bandage up he's hiding it from them and then he takes the bandage off and you see what his hand has become and it's all these broken bones and then his arm just like fully at the elbow just like breaks so fucking disgusting the concrete block that cuts his arm off is so good and then you know in the end he gets his heroic death he's redeemed himself in the eyes of the viewers because he starts off as the antagonist you learn a lot about his history and why he's on the run what the purpose of them being on the run is to save his girlfriend and you kind of have this like like he has humanity you really care for him in that moment and then he gets to have that heroic like one-armed lying on his back like fucking shotgun like cocking it blowing himself up you know it's epic Mm -hmm. i'll take it you know you don't see him die but like you understand what has happened with the explosion I think that the sh- the police officer death and then the arm amputation are easily, mm. like, the top two. Yeah. 
visual gore moments of the like I don't not that there are other gory good moments but like visually like I don't think they can be matched yeah, those are the most impressive yeah um all right what is your favorite line from this movie okay I hope we're not the same one because I if we're the same one I'll actually laugh okay because I was watching it and I I I try to keep in the back of my mind like be looking out for, like, lines that stand out to you and, like, things like that. Right. But I was so engaged with the film that, like, it was not even in my mind. And then the line happened and I laughed out loud and I was like, well, there it is! Which is, it's... I swear to God, it's the same one. I'll scream. It's the scene where they're cutting his arm off. No, it's not the same one. Okay. And he tries to do it himself because, you know, Dennis is a bad guy. Wait, I think I know what the line is gonna be! It's so fucking funny. Um, He's going to cut his arm off and he like starts to do it and the pain is too bad and he passes out which is very you know reasonable so Seth is like fuck it I'm I got a PhD I'm gonna cut this man's arm off I'm gonna save his life and so Polly is holding him down while Seth is cutting into his arm with a box cutter and of course the pain awakens him and he wakes up screaming and Polly like she's telling him that like oh don't worry it's everything's gonna be fine she goes oh it's okay we're cutting your arm off Yes, so yes. fucking casual. Like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, we're cutting your arm off. Like, that's not what you want to fucking hear when that you wake up. That was one of those instances where me. I was like, these motherfuckers are so chill. <laughs> I, I thought this, that was the moment. I thought the same thing. Because I was like, what the fuck? They literally are so calm. They're like, no, don't worry, we're cutting your arm off. It's, it's so like, funny. No, 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 relax, relax. We're cutting it off. Like, as if he's going to be like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, like, I don't think If you're that, still cutting my arm off, it's still gonna fucking, uh, like, hurt like a motherfucker. I don't know if it was written comedically, but her delivery of it just, like, kills me. Because it's obvious she's trying so hard to, like, keep him calm, but the, the words you're saying are in complete contrast to the way you're yeah, saying it. Yeah, I feel like... I, I love d- it. I definitely don't think it's supposed to be funny. I feel like delivery could have been a little better. Like, I don't need... She doesn't need to be like, we're cutting your arm off! But, like, also she'd be like, it's okay, it's okay! We're taking it off. You're going to be fine soon, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, something with urgency. It's, like, this, this like, hey, you're good. Cutting their arm off. Yeah, it's like, so funny. <laughs> I fucking live for it. That's my favorite line. Oh. What's yours? My favorite line is, um, it's, like, a word more so. But then I'll, I'll give a second one that's kind of similar. Um, I love when Dennis calls Joe Wagner a firecracker. I knew you were going to say um, that. Um, I'm so, mm, Let's sing it together, y'all. Predictable. <laughs> um, I love it. Because, like, it's, like, a great moment where, like, he calls her a firecracker, and then they, like, are going through with a plan, and she's, like, kind of, like, get the fuck out of my way. Like, I'm not waiting for mm-hmm. you guys to help me. Like, whatever. And then he, like, turns back to her boyfriend again. He's, like, firecracker. Mm-hmm. Which I was, like, oh, I would love to be called a firecracker. But similarly to that, at the beginning, when he's with his girlfriend still, and they're getting out of the car, and it's kind of decided, like, we have to leave this car. We need to fucking hitchhike. We got to do whatever our secret plan is to get another car. Um, and she's, like, pissed off because, like, she's, like, in withdrawal or whatever. And he says something. He's, like, where's my cowgirl? And she's, like, <laughs> I hate when you call me that. And he's, like, come on. I can see it. Where's my cowgirl? And I'm, like, oh. The way that I just, like, am really on this, like, I want a cowboy boyfriend train right now, like, oh <laughs> my goodness. I was like, um, I'm ready and willing to be a cowgirl for a motherfucker at this point. So, um, call me your cowgirl, call me a firecracker, and I'm yours. Those are my faves. Yeah, those are good ones. I agree. There's some good lines. I wonder if he ad-libbed that. When you said that, when you said he ad-libbed a lot of his lines, I was like... 
Okay, so okay, I'm living, I'm loving. Uh, yes. Um, well, I feel like I don't really have to ask this question, but Fuck you. who would be your partner in crime? My partner in crime would be the severed hand. Fuck you. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I did think about it. I did think about it. I do love a little severed hand. It's a very me answer. I know. I was like, I can't say it because Alex might say it. Dennis. I mean, Dennis for so many reasons because... I want to be called a firecracker. I want to be called a cowgirl. Um, I want him to be my boyfriend that's mean to everybody else except me. Like, the devoted love. Everything I already brought up. But also, because of the fact of things we brought up throughout, I can't speak, throughout the episode of the resilience. Of the fact that this motherfucker kind of, like, 20 minutes in gets infected. But lasts that long. And in theory, probably fighting against it. And then is so determined to not give up and die. We cut his fucking arm off. And as I said, you cut that arm off 20 minutes? Give me 20 minutes. I'm good again. Literally just like a fucking stub wrapped <laughs> up. He's ready to fucking do the next plan. Um, yeah. And obviously the whole ending where then he like sacrificed himself. He has like, the best arc of the film. I don't think there's any debate with that. Um, you know, he redeems himself. I just, I just think he's definitely the partner I would want. Obviously romantically to a certain degree of like, you will do anything for me. You are my ride or die. You will get the same energy back, King. But then also just, like, if even if he wasn't my romantic partner, just, like, being in that situation with him, like, I think that we have a good chance because, like, he's going to have some plans. He's going to be willing to do what needs to be done. And when it comes down to it, he isn't a bad person. Like, he won't let – he won't just, like, sacrifice me and throw me to the wolves. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so, he is a, a great choice. So Dennis is my choice. What about you? Yeah. I, I had two because I figured you'd pick Dennis. Um, if you didn't, I was going to go with Dennis because mm-hmm. – for the same reasons, I feel like he really, like, he loves deep, and he's, like, committed. Yes. He is ride or die. Like, I would trust him. If if we were in a partnership, I would trust him to be there for me. Um, yeah. But I will go with Polly, because I think that she is a very strong woman, and I want to be surrounded by strong women. I think that she's really beautiful, mm. so I like to look at her. Um, and I feel like she's very in a beautiful. similar way, she is kind of also a ride or die for her partner because, like, she is definitely the stronger person in that relationship in a lot of ways, but she clearly loves him so much, and she would do, like, really anything for him. And like, in the moment when he's, like, lowering his temperature, like, the concern. Oh, the yeah, fear, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, that's great, too. I mean, my temperature is at resting 97, so my ass could just fucking walk right out that door I'd be fine nobody would know um I would just survive because I'm cold all the time but like you can see in that moment how like afraid she is for him and I feel like if we were partners she would put just as much you know energy into me and so I I would want to work with her it's so funny because that scene with the ice um Mm -hmm. to bring it back up briefly you know he's lying on these bags of ice to like Because the parasite, as I said, it's, like, it's not after humans, it's after, like, temperature, which is why, like, the first guy, the gas station attendant, didn't go after what's-his-name. He went after the hood of the car because it was, like, smoking and hot. Um, But when he goes after, he's, like, lowered his temperature right by laying on these bags of ice. Mm -hmm. He walks out, he keeps a bag of ice with him, and he's, like, he's, like, shaking to the point where, like, he can barely move. Mm -hmm. So there was a part of my brain that was, like, fucking get it together. Like, just, like, walk. Right, and I was like, I was like, okay, you're you're fucking cold. You're not that cold. And then 
You know what I fucking thought of? Immediately, I thought of us at the Coolidge Corner <laughs> camp out for fucking Friday the 13th. I don't know if we ever talked about this. We went to a fucking double feature of OG Friday the 13th and then My Guilty Pleasure Friday the 13th 2000s remake with Jared Puddlehucky. Mm-hmm. Um, delicious, delicious. Um, and we literally, it's like under the stars, you're on like this campground. We were like, late. we didn't bring chairs, like dipshits. We were on a blanket. Yeah. Um, my ass couldn't feel my cheeks after a while. But so we're, like, cuddling. Get to, like, the second movie, and we're both, like, shivering. We were in sweatshirts. We brought a blanket. And we're, and then it gets to a point where you think you're crazy, where you're, like, we're, like, oh, my God, why are we so cold? But me and Alex are both people that, like, we get cold. Like, we want to be warm all the time. Um, so we're, like, it's just us. It's just us. Cut to, like, the end of the movie, the second movie. By that point, we were, like, sitting upright, like, clung to each other mm-hmm. because we were so cold. We were, like, I just, I just need your heat. I just need your heat. The fucking whoever the fuck gets on the mic and they're like, yeah, so it actually dropped to like negative three guys or like some crazy fucking It wasn't shit. that low, but <laughs> and it felt it was like 30. It was like, oh. It was like, cold. In my head, I was like negative three. But like it was so like colder than it fucking should have been. And we were like, yeah. oh my God. When we had to walk back to that fucking car, I literally like felt like I had like a wire connected to me because I was like, like I could not stop. Like the teeth chattering was on a whole new level, but that was one of the best sleeps I ever fucking had because we went back <laughs> to your apartment, immediately got into your big ass bed, onto the covers, knocked. I was Amazing. gone to the yeah. world. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah. I, immediately I was like, you know what? I would also be a pussy and I would be moving at, you know, oh, I'd be such miserable. a slow pace. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I cannot do the cold. So any, any horror that takes place where you have to like trudge through the cold, already I'm at a disadvantage. I'm not making it. No, I would, I would die. All right. You got your, uh, your question for me? I do. So as I brought up briefly before we went into the Q and Slay about like the going camping for the anniversary, right? You know, Mm -hmm. your classic, like, why the fuck are you doing this? So I want to know of every Horror movie couple getaway scenario. If, you, if you're following, like, you know, there's always, like, the different scenarios of, like, oh, my God, we should do this, mm-hmm. or, like, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, inevitably walk yourself into getting slaughtered, finding a cult, mm-hmm. whatever it be. Which is the one that you would do? Which is the most desirable to you? That's a really good question. Um, I'm trying – I'm, like – Rolodexing in my brain as fucking like fast like Rain Man just like going through all these films. Um, I'm yeah. gonna just because it's like the second thing that popped into my head and it's stupid, but I'm gonna go with it. Um, is it. I'm gonna say the plot device in I still know what you did last summer, which is that they win a trip to like Barbados or something, but it's really oh. like it's really a trap to like get them there so they can like kill them but they get to go to this like beautiful resort and like this tropical place and if that's where i'm gonna have to die i'll take a free fucking trip so that oh yeah and then yeah. nice ass paradise for sure, yeah. sure and brandy's my best friend and i'm taking her with me and we're gonna have a great time that's a blessed life that's a blessed way yeah. to go what about you i i didn't really need to think about it i would definitely do like the we're going to my partner's, like, parents or family's, like, mm. isolated lake house for the weekend. Like, I just, like, love I, – I 
yes, I just shit on people going camping. I've never personally been, like, outdoor camping in the woods. Maybe I will eventually. I don't fucking know. Anyway, but I do love, like, kind of being in wilderness. I love, like, a log cabin feel. I love, like, a lake house feel. And I think it's, like, very romantic and sweet. So it would take zero effort yeah. from my partner if they were like, hey, my parents have this beautiful big lake house, and it's just going to be us. We're going to have a long weekend. It's going to be juicy. It's going to be fun. I'd be like, done. My bags are packed. Even no. if it means, oh, while we're out there, suddenly the fucking power is cut. We have no reception on our cell phones. Um, someone's been living in the fucking basement of the lake house, and they're going to fucking kill <laughs> us and, like, feed us to their fucking cult members. I don't give a fuck. Is the view good? Because I'm coming. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I so that, like that would be my, uh, very specific. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, mine's specific, too. It has to be the beautiful lake house. Okay. I'm not, I'm not fucking fair. around with other shit. That's fair. My question, too, is somewhat similar but still different. Okay. Um, so if you knew that you had to go through some kind of, like, traumatic experience, like this film. Oh, God. You know, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You're going to get put in a situation where you are trapped in a location with people and you have to fight to survive. Aside yeah. from a movie theater, because we discussed it last week, what location right. would be your ideal situation to be stuck in? Oh, Jesus. Um... God damn, that's hard. Um, ideal situation to be stuck in. Um, the obvious answer is movie theater, but we can't. Right, right. I would say. God damn, that's a good question. That's a fucking hard question. Um, would you, if you want me to go first to give you more time and or thought, like, hint, like yeah, tell me what would you do? What would you do? (laughs) Um. It's stupid. It's very similar to what I would do if I was in, like, a zombie apocalypse. I would go to Target because oh. Target has everything. I mean. Yeah, they, it does. They have everything. If I'm hungry, there's food. If I'm bored, I'll put movie on their TV. If I am, you know, if I need weapons, I'll go and get something from the kitchen section. If I need first aid, there's that. And also just, I could get yeah. lost in Target. I could be there for hours. I feel like it's just a pleasant environment. There's lots of cloth and clothing if I need to tourniquet something. I feel like I would always go to, like, some kind of department store that has, a, has a, like, a very wide array of things. But also, I just love a Target. And I'll, you know, you go to Target mm. for one thing, you come out with 20, and it would be the same thing. <laughs> you go to Target for one thing, I would leave with some merch. inside during the zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I leave um, with three new dresses and a pint of Ben & Jerry's. And the, you know, the pride of knowing that I am the sole survivor. Yeah. Um, I, part of my brain was like, oh, well, my family home. Only because okay. I was just talking to uh, Cornelia the other day about how I've had so many dreams for ye- since I was young to present day in which it's always a different variation where, like, somebody is trying to break into the house or they're already in the house, and I, like, have this whole, and I do the same plan every time of, like, how I get out of the house and blah, 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 but that's a whole other thing. I think, though, if we're going to do, like, okay, you can't do, like, obviously your your home, um, I think the mall. I would Mall's do the mall because um, I, I, once again, kind of going off a movie theater thing, I've worked in the mall um, 
for several years. I don't currently work in a mall, but I did in the past for several years. Um, so I feel like acquainted with that kind of setting. I think usually malls are pretty big. They're pretty spacious and because so there's a lot of room to work, to hide, mm-hmm. to spread out if you're going to create a new society within this mall during said crisis. Um, and because there's so many different stores... Um, and food kiosks and blah, blah, blah. Like, you're pretty set for a period of time, you know, not forever, but, like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a good base camp to have. Um, So I think if I can't do movie theater, I I think I could fare pretty well if I was stuck in a mall for said uh, trauma. Yeah. I think a mall is a pretty good choice. I mean, there's a good amount of horror set in malls. I think it's a very smart location, but... I think it's very interesting that you were considering your home because I feel like my home would be the absolute last place I would want to have a traumatic experience because I feel like home invasion is like my biggest fear because this is the place where I'm supposed to feel safe and if somebody invades yeah. that it like destroys all of my like safety and comfort so that's like so away from anything I would want but I also understand that like you know your home better than anybody else like you would be it, you could use it to your advantage. Well, kind of going off that, like, the mall thing, like, unfortunately, because we live in America, like, um, there would be many times when we worked at the mall where, like, the thought crosses my mind where I was like, what if an active shooter did come in? Like, would I know where to go? Like, would I get out? Like, like legitimate thoughts I would have. You have to have Too often, thoughts. honestly. It never happened, obviously. Thank God. Um, but, like where then it kind of, that's when it almost feels not that it would be less scary anywhere else but then that feeling of like well this is a foreign place even though I work here I know the mall like I'm not trying to fucking die in the mall like wh- and like <laughs> what the fuck ever whereas my house there've never been any remote threats of knock on wood invasion or anything like that but I always tell the thing I was telling Cornelia is in my basement of my house and if you're trying to murder me stop listening right now because I don't want to tell you this <laughs> And give it away. <laughs> um, but in the basement of my house, you've seen it. There's, like, the whole finished basement, and then there's a room in the back that used to be the laundry room, and now is, like, kind of my mom's off office space, whatever. But there's a door in that room mm-hmm. that if you open it, it leads up to this little staircase that goes into our garage. So I have had, I don't know why, for years, a dreams where someone's trying to break in the house, someone's in the house, and I, like, run downstairs, I'm hiding in the basement, they're, like, upstairs looking for us or whatever, and, like, I'm waiting at that door that leads to the stairs in the garage, I'm, like, okay, the second that I hear that they're further down in the house, I'm gonna unlatch this door, sneak up through the staircase, Mm -hmm. they won't see me leaving the house, and then go through the garage door and run and get help, and, like, that's always my fucking game plan, so, like, part of me is, like, part of me is, like, if someone ever tries to get me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use the secret, not-so-secret stairs from the basement to the garage, and I'm going to be home free. So that's why I feel like you just better the hope only reason not my mind went men, to... And one of them is waiting in the garage. I know. That would be my luck. I'd be like, huh, suckers! I get up and he's like standing <laughs> right there, and I'm like, ha, ha, hi! Oh, shit. Oh, well, I guess um, we should go to our ratings and see where we fall here. Um, I, I'll go first. Um, I am a huge fan of this film. I The first time I saw it, I gave it a three and a half. But upon second viewing, I appreciated the effects even more and pretty much everything that we talked about with the characters and just the dynamics and how well the setting is used. So I'm going to give this big boy a four star, boy next door, 
check it out. I really think it's worth your time. It's only an hour mm-hmm. 22. I really don't think you'll regret it. Um, no. And yeah, this is definitely probably one of the highest ratings I've given so far on the pod. Um, and I stand by it. I will fight for this film. Four stars. Yeah, this is kind of a um, uh, another... Uh, no, I'm almost a castle freak. This is kind of another uh, tourist trap situation for me where I, I didn't really like be. this. Be- after discussing <laughs> it, I was like, yeah. Um, so I'm going to raise it a half star from what I originally was going to give it. And I'm going to give this um, a-, a boy next door who is also a dumb jock. So for those of you who don't understand, three and a half um, is what I'm giving this. Um, yeah, I- I- because I kind of for all the reasons we already said, I mean – Clearly, I liked it. I did not dislike this. I would definitely recommend. Um, and kind of after discussing, like, kind of, like, how well the story comes together and stuff like that with, like, the characters and the decisions that are made and how real it feels and obviously the effects, I definitely think it deserved a little bubble up from me. And who knows? Honestly, I'm sure this is one that I will I can see myself revisiting and maybe then I'll be like, you know what? Solid boy next door. But for right now, I'm going to give it a three and a half in between. Alex, Alex has a magic way with words sometimes that really... I have been dancing, just like, I was hoping <laughs> that our discussion would bump your rating up half star, because I want you to have a high rating for it, and I'm so pleased. I'm so glad. Yeah, I, I definitely think half star bump up. Um, and that's, that's, that's Splinter, y'all! Um, so, yeah, I mean, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we will be back sooner than you know with either another full episode mini sounds you know lots of horror coming out lots of stuff to possibly discuss mm-hmm. um and yeah so check out splinter thank you so much as always for listening and as always keep it creepy keep it creepy bye bye Hi, creeps, and thank you for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We would not be able to make this podcast, though, completely on our own, and we have some folks that we would love to thank. Um, First and foremost, if you've noticed, we have amazing new artwork, and we have to thank our friend Raymond Lowell, who commissioned it for us. Uh, You can follow him on Instagram and see all his other amazing art at rblowell. Who else, Alex? Uh, We would love to thank, yet again, for another season, our... Lovely friend Nathan Graham, who made our beautiful introduction music, um, and he sings the Girls Who Cried Be Horror. Um, you can follow him at yes. instant underscore grammed, like his name. Um, and you can also check out his podcast with our other friend Jonah uh, called The Commonwealth. Yes, all good spooky content. And of course, if you can't get enough of us, we're on social media too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, on Twitter at Girls Who Cried Be H, and if you really want to write us a whole novella, baby, you can send us an email at thegirlswhocriedbehorror at gmail.com. We always want to hear your thoughts and opinions and your insight. Uh, And if you want to follow us individually on social media... You're welcome to do that as well. Uh, I am at G-Way Forever. That is G-E-E-W-A-Y, number four, and then ever on Instagram. At agarity15 on Twitter. And uh, Anya Garrity on Letterboxd if you really want my uh, my film insight. Alex? Yeah, and if you want to check out the uh, three tweets and Instagram posts I do a year, you can check me out uh, at <laughs> Alex Brandley. Because I'm very basic on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd. It's all the same. I'm just Alex Brandley. 
She makes it easy for you, folks. Yeah. She makes it easy for you. Um, but that's all we have for now. So we'll see you creeps next time. Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs>